Well, this past summer, my family and I, we were able to spend a few days in Bayfield, Wisconsin, near the Apostle Islands. Maybe some of you have heard about that area. It was a nice, chill little getaway where we spent most of our time just relaxing and hiking in area woods and hiking trails. And one of the hikes that we went on, we were walking in one direction on the trail and we noticed a group of people walking towards us heading the other way. And usually when that happens on hiking trails, as you know, uh, you tend just to kind of walk by each other, neither group stops. You might say hi or good morning or whatever it it is, but you just kind of keep on walking. Well, this time as that group was approaching, they stopped and clearly looked as if they wanted to tell us something. So we stopped and what they shared with us was that Basically, a little bit prior to them reaching us, along the trail that they had gone through, there were some bears. And then they said this, good luck, hope you don't die. (laughs) Actually, they didn't say that, but it would have been funny if they did. Actually, not funny. What happened was we began to talk a little bit about what kind of bears they were. They said they were black bears, which if you don't know your bears, those are probably the ones if you're going to, you know, encounter a bear you'd want because they're more skittish and they don't uh, tend or they tend to be less dangerous than grizzly bears. And as we talked, they they said, "Um, I don't think you guys really have anything to worry about, but we just wanted to let you know that there's some bears up there. Well, after they continued on their hike, I did what any suburban dad would do. I I took out my phone and Googled what to do if you encounter black bears. (laughs) Make lots of noise. And then there was a link to a bear horn app, which I downloaded. (laughs) It was a total fail. It It was not loud enough for any bear or any person really to hear. And long story made short, we... um. We ended up being just fine. We didn't see any bears. No one died. We survived and, you know, lived to uh, talk about it. But the reason why I shared that little encounter with you is because I want you to think about and consider this question. What would you think if hikers saw bears along a trail and said nothing? What would you think if someone was hiking towards you, there were some dangerous bears that they had just passed, they see you and decide, you know what, I'm going to say nothing. I'm not going to let them know there's danger ahead so that they can download a bear horn app that doesn't work. You would think that's a pretty crummy and unloving thing to do to say nothing. And the reason why I bring this up is because this and this little scenario, stick with me, is really at the heart of why this series is important and why it is worth our attention. You see, here's the truth about you and me and about every single person, that everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. When our earthly lives end, people are either going to spend eternity in the joys of heaven with Jesus, 
or unfortunately, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And let's be real. Those are the only two choices. And when it comes to what to do about this potential danger up ahead, once again, God doesn't tell us, you know, make lots of noise so that the danger just runs away. (laughs) Well, he tells us over and over again in the word how it is to avoid that disaster that we deserve because of our sin. Probably one of the best places to look is the most famous passages in all of the Bible, John 3.16, where John writes, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the way out of the danger of our sin. That's the way to heaven. Jesus died in your place. He paid for our sins. And then when we put our trust in him rather than ourselves for our forgiveness and for salvation, God gives you salvation and heaven as a free gift. That's it. That's the way. That's the only way. So as you think about that, here's what I want you to understand and what I want you to grasp. And Matt did a great job last week of starting to get us to think about this. But the reality, it's our first fill-in for today, is this. To go as God has called us to do is not just a calling or a responsibility. And sometimes when I hear the, the preacher tell me one more thing that I'm supposed to do and to get out of my comfort zone and to share Jesus with people in a world that really doesn't want to hear what I believe, it becomes this burden and just another thing that's difficult and that's hard. But this is not just a calling, guys. To go, it's a way to love the people around you. You see, when when you and I understand what's at stake, that we're all heading on a hiking trail of life And there's danger up ahead, but we don't have to experience it. There's danger up ahead for the people at your work or in your neighborhood or maybe even within your own family, but they don't have to experience it. The most loving thing we could ever do for them is not cook them dinner or give them tickets to the game. The most loving thing we could ever do is to tell them that Jesus has died for them and to go. Again, last week, uh, Pastor Matt did a great job of kind of laying out for us what the cultural scene is right now as we go and some of the challenges that we're facing right now. You see, for, for many years, connecting people to Jesus It was never easy, but it was easier because all you really needed to do was invite people to church, and most people were used to going to church. It's just maybe they got out of the habit, and and inviting people to church still works. 
In fact, there are many times throughout the year where we're very intentional with encouraging you to invite people to come with you to church. This is a church that is ready for people who don't know Jesus, and I hope and pray that they experience a place where they understand what we're talking about and and receive the good news of what Jesus has done for them. But, But the truth is that it's not as easy as it used to be. That, that statistics tell us that people's view of the church has increasingly gotten worse. They view the church with skepticism, with negativity, with apathy. And you want to find a sobering little um, you know, thing to do? Um, ask someone who's not a Christian what they think about Christians. And the words that most often come up are things like extreme or judgmental or homophobic. (laughs) And because I am a Christian, because I know a lot of Christians, I don't necessarily think always that those categories or those descriptions of, of Christians are fair. But it doesn't matter whether it's fair or not. If this is what people think, we need to recognize that this is the landscape that we're, we're entering. And so it's tough. It's not impossible, but it's different, isn't it? As Christians in our country, to share the good message, to, to go. And so we're looking at a plan. We want to put in front of you a plan that has three words that start with L. And I'm telling you, you're not just going to hear this three-step plan in this series. It's going to be the common vocabulary of our congregation because we're that passionate about it. How do we go? Well, there's three things. You love, you listen, and you lead. Now, I want to be really clear God, the Holy Spirit, is so powerful, he doesn't need a three-step plan. You think of Pentecost. On one day, because Peter and the crew shared the clear message of what Jesus did, 3,000 people came to faith. The Holy Spirit is not limited to a plan. It's not what we're saying. Any chance you have to share Jesus, even if you haven't loved and listened yet, God can use that. But what we are saying is because of the landscape of our society, it is wise maybe to have a plan and to think about, to think about a very deliberate way to share. So today what we're tackling is the first of the three. We're going to be talking about love. And here's the interesting part as I dove into it and as I thought about it this week as I studied it and thought about how culture views Christians, love is kind of the opposite of what a lot of people think about Christians, unfortunately. And yet, at the very same time, when, when Jesus was teaching his disciples the night before he died, and he decided to pick out a characteristic or an attribute that he wanted his people to be known for, you know what it was? The way they loved the way they loved others. Uh, in fact, here, here's the verse that John records. He, John was in the room that night and wrote this down. By this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the attribute, the characteristic that Jesus said was to characterize or to be a symbol or to be the, the, the 
the defining characteristic of his people, his followers. And so this leads us to our second fill-in for today, that Christians, Christ followers, are to be be recognized by their love. What does that look like? What does that not look like? How do we do that? And how does this lead to us being able to share Jesus? Those are some of the questions that I'd like to answer with you with a little bit of time that I have with you this morning. That, that John who wrote down those, that quote from Jesus in the upper room, um, he actually was the oldest surviving disciple years later. And as he was most likely imprisoned, he decided to write some letters that sort of encompassed what um, he came to know and to understand about who God is and what Jesus has done and what he wanted people to remember. And in his first letter, we know it as 1 John, he writes a little bit more about what this love looks like. And it's going to be very instructive for us this morning. So we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. That same John, like I said, who was in the upper room, he writes years later, for this is the message you, the readers of this letter, have heard from the beginning, the beginning of our preaching. There's this one thing that John knew that his readers would have heard from them as they shared the gospel. Here it is, that we should love one another. That loving each other is something that the disciples and the apostles, taking the cue from Jesus in the upper room, made sure that everyone knew was part of being a Christian. And then he continues in verse 12. He says, don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, most of you know this episode, but it does uh, help to have just a really quick summary for those that may not. Um, Cain had a brother named Abel. Cain and Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. So we're going all the way back to the beginning of the world, beginning of creation. They both, both brothers, brought offerings to God. Abel's offering was accepted by God because it was brought out of love and a heart of worship. Cain's offering was not accepted by God, not because necessarily it was a bad offering, but because it was not brought forward with the same heart. Cain got so upset about this that he murdered his brother. The first murder in world history was brother to brother. John continues, so why did Cain murder his brother Abel? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. There's a lot that could be said. A couple months ago, I preached a whole sermon on this episode. But to make a long story short, here's what's going on. Cain's upset with God and God's refusal to accept his offering because it was brought out of a not a good heart. And so what Cain does is he takes out his anger. He takes out his anger on his brother who had the better offering. Cain's upset with something. He takes out his anger on his brother. And then John continues. 
Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters. He's talking to Christians in the first century. If the world also hates you. What he's warning those who follow Jesus, what John's warning, is that because we look different, because they acted different, because they believed things that were different, don't be surprised if the world hates you, just like Cain hated Abel because he was different. 2,000 years later, I think John's words ring just as true. We have a different hope than most of the world. We have a different view on life than so many. We look different. We should act different. Those who follow Jesus should be different than the world. Don't be surprised if people hate us. And sometimes we are recipients of this. And at times, let's be real, at times we, well, are participants in treating others badly because they look or act differently. Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, need to be really clear. What John is not saying is if you've ever disliked someone or hated them or are not nice to them, that you're automatically not going to heaven. If that was the case, there would be no one in heaven. But what he is saying when you read through all of these, both of these verses, is that one of, like we said before, the, the most obvious characteristics of a Christian, of someone who follows Jesus, is a love for the people around them, whether they look like them or not, whether they vote like them or not, whether they think like them or not. In fact, say it this way, that Christians are called to love the people around them. Everybody. Whether, again, they worship like us or not, vote like us or not, look like us or not, believe like us or not, we are to love the people around us. And something needs to change if a person calls themselves a Christian but doesn't love. Something needs to change if a a person calls themselves a Jesus follower but, but doesn't show love to the people around them. Our third fill in for today. This is one worth filling in, writing down, remembering. Some of you might actually raise an eyebrow at it first, but we'll talk about it. We are to love one another even when we don't agree with one another. Wow, wouldn't the world be different if this was the case? Some of us are wondering, how can that even be true? How can you even do that? We are to love one another even when we don't agree with one another. Now, Jesus expounds on this thought or this idea. 
In his Sermon on the Mount, this was long before John wrote his words in 1 John, listen to what Jesus says about love. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, where would people have heard that being said? What Jesus is calling out is that this is the common way to think about love. You would have heard this said by just about anybody. This is normal. You love the people who are nice to you, who smile at you, who you like. And then, well, all bets are off with those you don't like. That's cultural. That's normal. That's the low bar. But then Jesus says, but instead I tell you, love even your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. (laughs) That the way you look like a child of your heavenly father is by loving not just the people who are nice to you and you agree with, it's, well, it's by loving everyone. Even those you don't agree with. Even those who don't like you or think like you or as I said before, vote like you. We are to love everyone. Now, <laughs> that's a, a gut, to, gut punch if I ever felt one, isn't it? How, how different it is when it comes to this world. How differently things are modeled in this world. If, if we don't agree with someone, will we just you know, cancel them? We avoid them. We don't participate with them anymore. If someone doesn't agree with them, us, us, well, we want them to lose. We want them to struggle. We want them to get what's coming to them. And I bet that's always the way it's been internally because since the fall into sin, we're not the first generation to struggle with our sinful nature and with a desire to write people off that we don't agree with instead of loving them. But God has called us to love everyone. What does that that look like? Does that mean we're supposed to just kind of let anything go, agree with everyone, you know, have no standards? Love is just, you know, come on in here for a hug all the time. Well, no. Love sometimes means we're willing to share a difficult word. Love means that we stand up for truth, but maybe the best way to think about it is primarily what's going on in here. Love is felt, and this is something you have to do just self-inventory on. When you care about the person more than you care about being right. Love is felt when you care about their soul more than you care about proving your point. Love is felt, get this, when you recognize that everyone 
is going to spend eternity somewhere. And I want everyone to be in heaven with Jesus someday. That is rare. That is hard. And some of you might even think, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. You have. John continues. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I was thinking about um, Jesus' life on this earth and uh, how many people might have disagreed with him. Like most people. Remember, he was coming into a, a world in a, in a Jewish faith that was all about Old Testament sacrifices and a coming Savior. And then part of his message is, you don't need to do those sacrifices anymore because I am the Savior. Almost everyone he encountered probably disagreed with him at first. And then one week before he died, those voices that disagreed with him were so loud that they drowned out a Roman governor's thinking so that he decided to put to death a man he knew full well was innocent and did not deserve death. And yet, the way that they treated him did not change his love for them. In fact, as he was walking to Jerusalem for that final time, he, said, he wept over Jerusalem because he cared so much for these people who were going to put him to death. And the way we treat him, Jesus, because we're not perfect, does not change the way he loves us either. And as John writes, he proved it by going all the way to the cross completing the work he had promised to do because he loves you and I so much that even though he doesn't always agree with us and what we do or what we think or what we say, that did not diminish his love for us. And he died so that you might be able to spend eternity with him. He died so that I might be able to spend eternity with him. And guess what? The person sitting next to you today he loves that person so much that he went to the cross for that person, not just you. The person sitting on the other side of the room today from you, it's the same for them. This love, it, it's true for the person at work that you cannot get along with and honestly is just mean. It's true for that per student at school who bothers you in person and online. Christ died for that person. It's true for that driver who's really close to your bumper and giving you the one-finger salute. Jesus died for that person. It's true for the person, like I said, who votes the same way that you do and for the person who doesn't for the, the person that you're wondering, how can they think that about that topic? Jesus died with that person 
in mind. Here's what we need to understand. Here's the, the heart of, of how we respond to Christ's love for us. Number four is to remember that everyone is someone for whom Jesus died. Everyone. And I hope that changes our perspective when we remember that. So John finishes out this section and he kind of applies then, what do we do? Well, we ought to then lay down our lives for others, for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but let's love with actions and in truth. What John is directing us to is that, yes, we are to, to love our brothers and sisters in the faith, but Jesus made it really clear that we are also to love our neighbor or our, even our enemy. And it's not just in words. It's not just in head nods. Go, preacher, I agree with that. It is in our actions that we feed those who are hungry, that we clothe those who don't have anything to wear, that we help those who are hurting. And the greatest way we can show love is by sharing Jesus with those who don't know him. So when it comes to our plan, when it comes to an easy way to think about, how am I going to do this thing of sharing the gospel? You begin with love. Two things. Love is both our motivation and love also creates Opportunities, And this is where I want to get really practical as we close today. You know, trying to love the whole world, it's a pretty hard deal, especially because I've only been to a small fraction of the world. But you know where the world starts? It starts right out your front door. It starts with the people who are in your neighborhood. Whether that be your literal neighborhood where you live, or the neighborhood of parents that you hang out with because your kids go to the same school or play on the same team or your neighborhood at work. Here's step one. And it was very uh, eye-opening because I'm not good at this always. Step one in applying this is to get to know the people in your neighborhood. Those of you who know me, um, sometimes... When you talk with me, you'll say, I, can, I know you're busy. And I think I just give off this feeling like I've always got something that I'm doing and I need to work on that. Because if I'm always busy, if you're always busy, you know what we don't do? We don't take time to get to know the people that are right in our neighborhood, whether it's literally where we live or like I said, another area of people that you interact with, whether at, um, again, your kid's school or a ball game or at work, wherever it might be. Here was an eye-opening uh, exercise that I read once in a book that I, I wonder how you would be able to react to this exercise. In the book, there was this map. And this home represents your house, okay? So this is where you live, right in the middle. And the question was, would you be able to fill in each of these blocks the first names of the neighbors who live in these eight spots around your house? 
That is an eye-opening experience. Now, I'm kind of blessed because these three blocks, I don't have any houses there. So I'm limited to, you know, a few less. <laughs> but could you do that? I can't. Most of them, not all of them. Is that sinful that I can't name them by name? No, but it's eye-opening. We're supposed to go out into all the world. How about we just go to the house next to us? <laughs> to love them starts with getting to know them and learning their names. To love that person you sit on the bleachers with or maybe a couple rows away from is to next time sit a little closer and get to know them and learn their name. And then step two, as we apply this love step, create opportunities to spend time with your neighbors. What that means is, what does it look like for you to spend more time with that person? For, for some of you, this, this is me. Like, the bar is way low. I need to raise it, but I need to start here. Is even though I've got stuff on my to-do list, when I see my neighbor raking leaves, I'm going to go over there and actually talk with him, get to know him a little better. I'm creating an opportunity. Um, maybe it's instead of playing yard games with your kids in the backyard, you play it in the front yard where there's more traffic activity and dog walkers. You get to know more people. Maybe it's being intentional with inviting some neighbors or some uh, parents that you know over for dessert after dinner on a Friday or something like that. I don't know what it looks like for you. But here's what also was brought out in a book, this kind of math equation. That unhurried time, unhurried time, time where we're able to just be in the moment and talk, plus proximity, so closeness, living near someone, plus activity, like desserts together. You put those things together, sociologists uh, find that it equals conversations. And that's where it starts. To be able to, to get to know someone, to have a conversation, it might start with the Vikings and the weather, but eventually maybe it turns into something else. And that's, that conversation is where we're going to pick it up next week. But as we close today, in a world that has so little of it, Jesus has called us to go and to be lights. And I know it's difficult, but here's something to remember about light. Light always shines the brightest when it's dark. And maybe the culture we live in just means that we have a greater opportunity than ever before to shine brightly the light of Christ. Jesus has called us to go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, um, we thank you first for the work you did on the cross so that we might be able to have hope and peace and joy. That, that we know that on the trail ahead of us, there might be ups and there might be downs, but Lord, we thank you that there are not bears that are going to devour us because... Your son Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the devil. 
and heaven is ours because of what he has done. Lord, may we not be so apathetic about that faith that we just keep it to ourselves, but may we have opportunities. May at times we seek those opportunities out that we might be able to do the most loving thing in all the world we could do for others. So let them know that that Jesus is for them as well. We pray all this in Jesus' name.